Hi, this is Welcome to the End Times from Chipperish Media. I'm researcher and televised evangelical angel, Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm story expert and houseplant that has started shedding leaves on the carpet, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about Good Omens, part two of the Saturday chapter, which is pages 238 to 347 in my paperback, but may vary greatly in yours. It's not given to us to understand the ineffable plan, so let's stop Armageddon. quick recap of the reading before we dive into discussion. The second part of the Saturday chapter, arbitrarily chosen by us, is nonstop <laughs> action, jumping from character to character as the world goes to hell and they all race to the airbase in Lower Tadfield. This section opens with Madam Tracy offering Shadwell respite after his encounter with Aziraphale. Shadwell thinks he is now a force against darkness and wants to rescue Newt, but falls asleep in Madame Tracy's house of love while she prepares for a seance. Crowley arrives at Aziraphale's bookshop to find it burning, surrounded by firefighters and spectators. He rushes in, yelling for Aziraphale, finds and rescues the book, and takes off for Lower Tadville in his Bentley. <laughs> War, famine, and pollution arrive at the Happy Porker Cafe, where death is waiting for them. Followed by four Hells Angels bikers, they head for Lower Tadfield. Aziraphale jumps from body to body, talks about the real apocalypse on evangelical television, and finds his way to Madame Tracy. Shadwell dreams of Agnes Nutter and then is confronted by Aziraphale via Madame Tracy. Aziraphale tells Shadwell he must kill Adam, and Madame Tracy, Carrie and Aziraphale, and Shadwell head out on Madame Tracy's scooter, magicked by Aziraphale. <laughs> Crowley keeps the Bentley going through the M25 disaster while on fire, ready to die to save the world, an optimist to the end. At the quarry, Adam is overcome with rage and grief, but then finds his way back to himself and enlists his friends to help save the world. On their bikes, they head to the airbase with Ananthema and Newt close behind. At the airbase, the four horsemen set up nuclear missiles and chemical bombs to destroy the world. Aziraphale disappears the guard, and Adam puts soldiers to sleep. Then Adam and his friends face off against the four horsemen. Newt shuts down the computers, and it seems the day has been saved. But then Metatron and Beelzebub appear to Adam, demanding that he end the world. Aziraphale and Crowley debate the great plan as part of the ineffable plan, arguing that what is written can be crossed out, and Metatron and Beelzebub leave to get further instructions. The devil himself appears through an earthquake, and Aziraphale and Crowley prepare to fight. But Adam waves his hand, and the world rights itself as Mr. Young arrives looking for Adam, who never does what his father wants him to do. The international delivery man is alive again and collects the tokens of the apocalypse as Crowley and Aziraphale drive off in a stolen Jeep, and the cassette tape of Handel's water music stays water music the whole way home. <laughs> So Adam fixed something then. Adam fixed a whole <laughs> bunch of something. <laughs> All right. So Kelly, we have a huge, big reading here. What did you think of it overall? Oh, I really enjoyed it. It's so mm -hmm. fast paced um, and it jumps around so much that trying to take notes was interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I really enjoyed the action and like everybody has a goal, even if it's just to get to the airbase, but they're all mm -hmm. driven and motivated and it's in turn funny and exciting. And we get Crowley running into a birdie bookshop to save Aziraphale and I love it. I love I it. I love know, it. I love that too. <laughs> and, and 
there are like some little parts of Shadwell at Madame Tracy's that I kind of thought was funny, even though I mm-hmm. still don't like him. I will never like him. He's right. a bad, 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 bad man. Um, uh-huh. But he told Madame Tracy, you know, young Newt is still out there in thrall of heathen passions and occult wiles. And I was like, hey, <laughs> sounds like fun. <laughs> right. We're going to get me some of them. Exactly. Yeah. Like, where do you mm-hmm. sign up for that part of the apocalypse? And, <laughs> and he thinks he exercised a demon, you know, and now believes himself to be a match for the powers of darkness. And I was like, all right, side note for our still dead listeners. Because <laughs> I would love to see Shadwell go toe to toe with Lila Morgan. I wish him, I wish him luck with that. I really yeah. do. I really do. But I liked that, you know, Shadwell was concerned for Newt, you mm-hmm. know. Um, there was a sense of vulnerability in Shadwell during these readings. Yeah. Um, that made him, made me like him a little bit more. I still don't like him, <laughs> but I hate him a little less. Yeah, he's, say that. he's less awful. Than he was yes. previously mm-hmm. in the book. Um, mm-hmm. And I was I was really encouraged by some notes I read from Neil Gaiman online talking about yes. how the TV show was really updating its humor and how the actor who plays Shadwell does that so well that mm-hmm. he's going to come across as more likable. Yes. So I'm really curious to see how they how they pull that off. Um, Yeah, no, I'm actually I read that too. And, um, and was really encouraged by that, because a lot of the things like that Neil Gaiman specifically um, called out in that Twitter thread. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, Oh, okay, no, I I absolutely a lot of the things that I really, really didn't care for. Yeah, you know, in this book. So, um, so that was really great. And I appreciated that. Yeah, it was really great. And while we're talking about the show real quick, I just have to say, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to do the voice of Satan, and it feels like Christmas. Like, I what can't... could be possibly better oh, than that? My God, <laughs> I am... <laughs> I am overcome with joy, Lonnie. I'm overcome. I know, I'm so I know. I mean, we're not going to actually see him, no. but we will hear him, and he will hopefully have a British accent. Hopefully, because why in the world in the MCU is Doctor Strange? You have if you have Benedict Cumberbatch, you don't make him do a stupid American accent. No, you, you have him the British. best voice in the yes. whole entire world. Let him ruin speak. it with an American accent. <laughs> What's up with that? I know it makes me so mad. <laughs> but anyway, oh, I am mm-hmm. like Crowley, an optimist. I am full of hope good. for this TV show, <laughs> and all the clips that I've been watching just look fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I'll jump from that like happiness to some other happiness. With Crowley okay. at the burning bookshop, even though oh, the bookshop burning hurts my heart. Yeah. But there's this moment when, you know, Crowley walks up to the fireman and the fireman asks if Crowley owns the bookstore. <laughs> I and love that. This, this makes me laugh every time I read it, even though it is totally absurd to have this conversation yes. in front of a burning building. But Crowley says, don't be stupid. Do I look like I run a bookshop? <laughs> And the fireman says, I really wouldn't know about that, sir. Appearances can be very deceptive. For example, I am a fireman. However, upon meeting me socially, people unaware of my occupation often suppose that I am, in fact, a chartered accountant or company director. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is the absurdity. Like, there's a very, like, Pratchett-esque absurdity to so much Mm -hmm. in this book. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, that I expect from him. 
you know, it's just, it's so fun. It's so it's fun. So cute. It's so great. Mm-hmm. And Crowley running into that burning bookstore may be my favorite part of the whole book. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Uh, when he goes in and he shouts for Aziraphale. I know. And oh, he's so, God. he's desperate, you know, and he's, he's mm-hmm. looking for help. Um, he puts the fire on his clothes out with a look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I just love, you know, and he gets mm-hmm. hit in the face with the water from the fireman. And, yes. And you see, his, yes. you know, that those yellow eyes, you know, with the vertical mm-hmm. pupils. And I can't wait to see David Tennant in, in, that, yeah. in that costume. I know. I'm so excited. But I really love this description we get there. It says, wet and streaming, face ash blackened, as far from cool as it was possible for him to be, on all fours in the blazing bookshop, Crowley cursed Aziraphale in the inevitable plan and above and below. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love it so much. And then he finds the book, you know, Mm -hmm. and he grabs it and the floor collapses on top of him and everyone outside thinks he's dead and he just walks out. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so great. And he speeds away in the Bentley as, you know, this huge storm breaks behind him. And and you just mm-hmm. get this absolute sense of determination from him. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. love it. I just love I it. I love it, too. Yeah. No, the, the Crowley and Aziraphale stuff is all my favorite stuff in the whole book. Yeah, it really is. It's mine, too. Um, and I, I did like the next section with the four mm-hmm. horsemen at the diner. Yes, I actually, I actually didn't mind the four horsemen at this point in the in the story. Yeah. <laughs> like once we got to the guys following them, uh-huh. you know, yeah. <laughs> that kind of even though that's exactly the kind of kind of self indulgent like side stuff uh-huh. that I usually don't enjoy, I didn't mind it that much this time. Maybe I've just gotten used to it. One day you might not mind so much. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> but I, I love all the motorcycle guys huddled around the trivia Scrabble game. And the categories change, you know, from pop music, sport, current events, and general knowledge to war, (laughs) famine, pollution, and pop trivia. Pop trivia. (laughs) (laughs) And I love when they're talking about Elvis. Uh And Death is like, I don't care what it says. I never laid a finger on it. It's so great. It's so great. And Death is the one, you know, winning the trivia game mm-hmm. and it's oh it's sure so fantastic yeah. and the horsemen are wearing hell's angels jackets which bother yes. you know the hell's angels at the diner and i got the mm-hmm. biggest kick out of big ted asking what chapter they belong to and <laughs> death, <laughs> death says revelations <laughs> chapter six <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> it was so great and then we get this really great clear answer about pollution uh, it yeah. says pollution removed his helmet and shook out his long white hair. He had taken over when pestilence, muttering about penicillin, had retired in 1936. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that lends some some credit to my case for having one horseman eventually become spam. Oh, yeah. No, I think you got something there. <laughs> I think it could happen. I think it absolutely could. Famine gives up. Spam takes over. Yeah. <laughs> I there you go. It. Yep. Uh, and then we get to probably the silliest thing that they, well, I don't know about the silliest, one of the silliest that they do in this book that makes me laugh unapologetically. <laughs> I crack up at this every single damn time. Mm-hmm. Zerophel is jumping from body to body. <laughs> and then he lands in <laughs> Marvin O. Bagman 
television evangelical broadcasting with the choir singing, Jesus is the telephone repairman on the switchboard <laughs> of my life. <laughs> and I, I cannot help it. This delights me. It just, yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> just totally delights me, um, especially because they were talking about, you know, Marvin and saying, mm-hmm. You might think he doesn't believe because of the way that, you know, he's making money on this, but he really does. And he spends a lot of the money doing what he thinks is God's work. Right. But, it, but it said when Marvin got religion, it yes. wasn't the quiet, personal kind that involves doing good deeds and living a better life. Not even the kind that involves putting on a suit and ringing people's doorbells, but the kind that involves having your own TV network and getting people to send you money. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, if you have to have a religion, I guess that's what it always reminds me of that line in um, in The Office. Do you remember Creed from The Office? Okay, confession. I have never actually seen The Office. Okay, well, we're going to have to fix that. But anyway, <laughs> so there's this character Creed on The Office who is is kind of, you know, he's like this, this older guy. Um, and he actually plays himself, Creed Bratton, who was a member of, I think... I want to say the grassroots, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Some kind of like, you know, B tier folk singing group from like the 60s. Um, but anyway, so he's he's the guy who's always like, you know, up to no good, you know, just kind of like sneaking mm-hmm. around. And, and one of the things he was like, I've been in a cult before. You have more fun as a follower, but you make more money as a leader. <laughs> <laughs> And that always makes me think of him. Although I think uh, Marvin isn't quite that cynical. But... No, Marvin just really, really likes his Jesus and his money. But yeah, who can play Aziraphale, him? you know, Aziraphale coming in and talking about the real apocalypse yes. and heaven having a 50-50 chance. Uh, and, uh, and then he just looks at the camera and he's like, gosh, am I on television? <laughs> it delights me. It oh, my God. I know. It's just me. so adorable. It's so funny. Um, And then we get back to Crowley driving the burning Bentley. Mm -hmm. And oh, my God, I just this this whole thing is so fantastic. You know, he's doing 120 miles an hour Mm -hmm. down Oxford Street. And we get another poetry shout out. So, you know, I had to go look this up. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He said a livid sky on London. And I knew the end was near. So this is from the old song by G.K. Chesterton, which interestingly enough includes this line. I heard the hundred pen makers slow down their racking din till in the stillness men could hear the dropping of a pen, uh-huh. which now in my mind includes an asterisk by yeah. the word pen, which is for the use of. Oh, yes. And by the way, <laughs> let me just pause here for just a minute. <laughs> Because the last time I was like, I don't understand. What does this mean? What is this supposed to? And like everybody, you know, all the people from the UK or in the Discord chat were like, Jesus Christ, what is wrong with you? Can you not tell what the humor is here? And they're making fun of like military style, you know, manuals, whatever. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not familiar with those. Like I get the kind of like general language construction of that. Mm-hmm. But it was like, but all these people were like, do you people in America not understand humor? <laughs> I know. And I'm I like, know. well, apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. I don't. Well, and I think I even have a bigger disadvantage. You know, I come from the South. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I understand earnest and I understand complete and total fakely polite sarcasm. Yes. You know, bless your but heart. Yeah. Bless your heart, sugar. <laughs> bless your heart. Dumbass motherfucker, Shadwell. But, like, I don't. <laughs> some of this I get is funny and some of this I'm like, 
huh yeah (laughs) i think part of it is that like some of the references are like Mm -hmm. things that i don't really have like a context for and some of it i'm like like i understand it i just don't it just doesn't strike me as funny (laughs) i think it's like i generally like british humor it's it's Mm -hmm. a little absurd in general for my taste you know um but like i usually get it you know, a lot of stuff we're reading here. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I don't get it. You know, like that. <laughs> well, I loved hearing from people in Discord, though. I know. It's so great. It. I love when they come in and they're like, what is wrong with you people? Like, Why don't you say this is funny? <laughs> but it's a great reminder this? about our cultural lens and the way we read and Absolutely. the way we react to humor Absolutely. and all of that. But I do get Crowley. Like, yes. Oh, an God, it optimistic crowded. demon driving through fire. I get I it. Like, <laughs> I get it, and I love it. <laughs> and I love that the Bentley is driving while Crowley is sitting back in the seat and reading the nice and accurate prophecies of I Agnes Mother. <laughs> I know. I love it. It's so great. And as he reads Aziraphale's notes, the car just redirects itself to Lower Tadfield, and I'm like, why? Why can't my car do that? Like, oh, it, it will soon. <laughs> We're going to have <laughs> We're going to have automatic driving cars here pretty soon. It is a sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> all we need is like that, the auto rain car. Of toads. Yeah. Google cars, the- yeah, all of that. It's in the, the Bible. auto car is going to pull up playing the clean and there's going to be this beautiful house plant in the passenger seat. I'm going to be like, "Oh fuck." <laughs> <They're right. laughs> this can't this can't be good. Yeah. <laughs> this can't be good. <laughs> And I really, really love this moment when Hell comes on Crowley's radio. Oh, yeah. You know, because to me, this is like the stand back up moment, Mm -hmm. which is always my favorite part of the story. You know, and they're threatening Crowley. And they said, as as long as there is one demon left in Hell, Crowley, you will wish you had been created mortal. Mortals can hope for death or redemption. You can hope for nothing. All you can hope for is the mercy of Hell. Right. Joke. like just our little joke (laughs) our little joke and and i like that you know that said crowley was looking very tired and very pale Mm -hmm. and very scared and then very angry because they were talking to him like he talks to his houseplants and he's had enough exactly (laughs) exactly as if you were a houseplant who had started shedding leaves on the carpet I was like getting a little bit of your own there, Crowley. We don't like it now, do we? No, we don't. And, <laughs> but he really feels like the character with the most to lose. Yeah. Even though the world is going to hell for everybody. Right. You know, but he, he's like found his resolve. And, well, and he I has really the most like to it. lose because there's something he can do about it. Like yeah. if you're just a victim and things are just happening and you have no agency, but he actually has some agency and he's right. been the one who's been kind of like pushing, you know, all of this since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I really love that. And then I love, of course, he's on the M25, which he had, you know, made in the form of the dreaded sigil of a Degra. <laughs> <right? laughs> and then it starts chanting. <laughs> <laughs> It was, I, I love that. I love that little detail. I thought that was really cool. It was really great. And I like that he feels some guilt. Yeah. You know, because yeah. he realizes he made that, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and he's ready to die for his cause and he snaps his fingers and he's got new sunglasses and everything's clean. And he's like, what the hell? If you've got to yeah. go, why not go with why style? Why not go in style? He's got a new suit. He's got new sunglasses. He is ready to do this thing. 
It's so great. Yeah. It's so, so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he's heading to Lower Tidefield. The four horsemen are heading there as well with the mm-hmm. four Hells Angels riding behind them. Yes. And, and I I know it is ridiculous, but all of those bikers changing their names yes. cracks me up. No, this like- is exactly the kind of thing that I usually tap my foot and I'm like, can we please just get on with this? But I had... <laughs> <laughs> Grievous bodily harm, I think, uh-huh. was like one of my. Fa- I think he had the best one. And then we have, you know, Scuzz trying to figure out what he's going to be and having a real identity, like a crisis of identity. Yeah. You know? I thought about you with the things not working properly, even after you've thumped them. Yes. <laughs> after you've given them a good thumping. Thump. <laughs> it's so funny. You know, because if you're oh, going to be in the new book of Revelations, you want like a good name. You do. You know. So yeah, no, I mean, I like no alcohol lager, you know. <laughs> <laughs> really cool people, really cool people. <laughs> people who do not cite their sources would be mine. right. People who don't cite their sources, yeah, <laughs> a very special corner of hell reserved for them. <laughs> but it was really fun. I mean, the whole thing was just kind of delightful it was, it was kind of fun funny it i don't really know if was. i've just gotten used to it if I've, I've managed to find some patience for these asides that don't really matter you know um but it was it was just delightful so i it just i allowed myself to be delighted <laughs> <laughs> i think i've stopped expecting this book to like actually you know focus and move <laughs> forward in one direction yeah it's kind of like oh this is how we do this now okay cool you know I, look i look i'm on the train right <laughs> you know, like i'm on the ride it's going where it's going i gotta let it go yeah and and i like when we cut back to madam tracy feeling mm-hmm. very occult like yes <laughs> Aziraphale interrupts her seance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's so polite. He's like, very well, I'll hand you over, but you must make it quick. I'm attempting to avert the apocalypse. And right. then <laughs> Madam Tracy makes tea for both of them, even though he's not corporeal. Uh, oh, uh, funny. Uh, it's so funny. And we kind of jump around a little bit, you know, yeah. and Newt, Newt gets laid and Anathema seems kind of bored and they only mm-hmm. do it once and yada, yada, yada. I don't care. Um, I okay. I did really <laughs> like though the one thing where he was talking about how like throughout the book, mm-hmm. um, and and the part where they had sex, all of the devices throughout the centuries had written little encouraging notes for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I like that. I like the whole absurdity of it. I mean, yeah. it is it is very cute. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I liked I liked Newt except for the end. You know, at the end of this little section, the storm blew a dying gust around Jasmine Cottage and holding the damp pink towel no longer fluffy in front of him strategically, Newt edged off to take a cold shower. And I'm like, all right, fine. Like the cold shower thing, like I get she used up all the hot water, but it's like <laughs> that whole reference to like, that's how you, you know, you get down from being all heated up sexually or whatever. It's like, I don't know, for some reason, the cold shower reference always annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Newt's not scoring a lot of points right now. Uh, 
He'll have a moment, though. He'll have a moment. Yeah, he does. He does. And and, and I like that Shadwell dreams of Agnes. I like this, too. And I like that that line that she said in the original memory, Mm -hmm. you know, that goes for you as well, you daft old fool, right? Yeah. Um, She's actually talking to Shadwell. And somehow he is there. She knows that he's there, even though this is a dream he's going to have, you know, 200 years later. Um, I just I just liked that little reference. And honestly, it's one of the things that make me uh, they're giving Shadwell vulnerability. Yeah. You know, and it's just like it makes me like him a little bit more. Yeah. And he realizes that burning at the stake is a terrible way to die. Right. Now that he's actually witnessing it once. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now let's have a little bit of sympathy for that. You know. Yeah, and, and I did laugh at his confusion mm-hmm. over why someone would hang a mirror on the ceiling above their bed. And sure. <laughs> and Can't his ear fell smart mouthing him through Madame Tracy. <laughs> you know, I'm glad Aziraphale got some of his own back. Yes, um, exactly. But then Aziraphale tells Shadwell to kill Adam. And yeah. it hurts my heart. You know, because first of all, this is an angel and I I expect a little better from my Mm -hmm. angel and Adam doesn't know what he's doing and he's not doing it on purpose. He's He's 11 years old. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, Aziraphale, as we're going to discover a little bit later, is a little bit of a bastard. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You know, and I actually, I kind of like that he's, he's got a dark side. Yeah. You know, I like that he's he's not all perfect sweetness and light, you know. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. And he has to convince Shadwell that Adam is a witch. Yeah. Otherwise, Shadwell's not interested, which right. I mean, he, you got to give him credit for focus. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, man no, has a clear focus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. Not, that was pretty funny. Um, and then, you know, there's all those crashes and fish all over the highway. And the right. four bikers crash when the four horsemen oh jump God. over the mess. I love that part. Thud, thud, <laughs> thud, 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 splat. And one of them and changes their name to covered in fish. Scuzz, <laughs> the only surviving, you know, like, you know, second level biker of the apocalypse is Scuzz. <laughs> he says, I'm people covered in fish. <laughs> people covered in fish. Oh, my God. So funny. It's so funny. And I love yeah. that we're back to riding with Crowley. And he like, yeah. he makes this bulleted numbered list oh, of all the one things of my that are wrong. Parts. And, you yes. know. The demon is writing my love language. I can't help it. I'm like, I know. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> fantastic. You know, and there's no hope, but he's an optimist and, and an optimistic demon. Like, come on. Yeah. And no, he- I love it. But I also love that like, in, in part of it, he's like, one whole note is Aziraphale was as far as could be estimated out of the question. Yeah. And there is, or out of the equation. And there is such a, like, kind of a sadness to mm-hmm. that like Aziraphale he'd lost his other part like yeah. you know his his corresponding person <laughs> I mean Aziraphale is his person yeah and so there's kind of like a real sadness to that and then like right after that all was black gloomy and awful there was no light at the end of the tunnel or if there was it was an oncoming train you know yeah. and uh and so I kind of like I just I don't know I I like that Aziraphale is like you know, at the top of his mind during Mm -hmm. this, that he's still like, that's still a huge part of this for him. Yeah. And I love that he, you know, according to his list, the only thing that makes sense is just to pull over and start drinking. But 
he he's gonna go anyway because he believes yeah. the universe will look out for him and yeah in that way like he felt very much like the trickster hero yeah mm-hmm. and i just yeah. love him i just yeah, love he's him he's so great yeah. you know and he is tearing up that bentley on the way and keeping I it know. together by sheer force of will and <laughs> I know. And that Bentley, you know, the Bentley burning, yeah. you know, the Bentley is the thing that he loves. Mm-hmm. Like, this is his car. Like, he is into this car. He loves it, you know, and he is very willingly sacrificing it to save yeah. the world. And I think there's something to that, you know, the idea of what would you give up? Mm-hmm. You know, what would you sacrifice? Yeah. You know, um, and the the choice, I mean, choice, of course, in all narratives is a huge thing for defining what a character is. Mm-hmm. And so when they when you have to a character choose between the things that he loves, you yeah. know, and he is burning through the Bentley to, you know, to stop whatever's happening, you know, and um, and to find Xerophil, you yeah. know, and I I love that. I do too. And, you know, both of what they love most are now on fire. The bookstore is burning and the building is burning. But Crowley chooses to Mm -hmm. make that happen. You know, he's willingly making that choice. He's actively choosing to burn up the Bentley for this. Yeah. And I love it. But then we get the scene with Haster that I don't like. Like, this is the one thing I am dreading seeing on screen with the TV show. When yeah. Haster comes through the telephone sales line as a swarm mm-hmm. of maggots and kills 10 people yeah. and turns them all like, no, I don't know. No, not yeah. maggots. Like, no, not maggots. Can not we just maggots. Anything but maggots. Yeah. Like, come on, Can man. We just not have that. Yeah. You know, and, and it says that like, he actually ended up accidentally doing some good. Because yeah. now millions of people would not be irritated would by not the sales get the calls. Robots or the sales calls. <laughs> it's like, so the sales call system was Crowley's design. Right. So Hasser triggers some goodness by messing with it. So he's still mm-hmm. losing to Crowley. Yeah. But yeah. 10 people. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, no, it's pretty nasty. Yeah. It's just, it's just pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get a comment about we're back with Crowley again. That really mm-hmm. did make me laugh. Yeah, you're kind of hearing the different police and, you know, rescue workers reactions to all these Mm -hmm. things that are going on. And it says it would take a lot to phase a copper from the Met. It would take, (laughs) for example, a huge battered car that was more sorry. It would take, for example, a huge battered car that was nothing more nor less than a fireball, a blazing, roaring, twisted metal lemon from hell driven by a grinning <laughs> lunatic in sunglasses, <laughs> sitting them in the flames, trailing thick black smoke coming straight at them through the lashing rain and the wind at 80 miles an hour. That would do it every time. <laughs> that'll do it. I think that'll do it. Right. <laughs> that would phase me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Absolutely. And then we cut to Adam and the them, and they're yeah. still at the quarry, you know, and, and it says the quarry was the center calm of a stormy world. Thunder yeah. didn't just rumble overhead. It tore the air in half. And I really love that. It's so evocative and it sounds like what's happening to Adam. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. and his friends are asking him like what part of the world he's going to have. He's divided yeah. up all the continents among them. And he says all he wants is Tadfield. That's all he's ever wanted. Yeah. And there's something that happens, I guess, in speaking that out loud, maybe speaking that love out loud, mm-hmm. that causes this huge rift in Adam. And his, he, you know, he screams to the point that it rattles the celestial spears. 
Yeah. But then he goes through some kind of transition and comes back as himself. You know, he's more knowledgeable and older and sadder, but he's still back to himself. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's in this moment where he's talking to his friends and he's like, well, you don't have to worry about that because I could make you all just do whatever I wanted. Right. And it's at that moment he stops and he's in this, like, it is absolutely this internal conflict and then this moment of integration Mm -hmm. you know which i found really funny because we actually talked about that over in big strong yes you know about that when you're traumatized when you're abused you kind of split into two people and there's a part of the healing process where you sort of reintegrate Mm -hmm. and it is violent it feels like an emotional thunderclap like you know your whole world just comes crashing back together And both of those sides that kind of split apart so that you could live through whatever abuse you were experiencing um, kind of slap together. And then you have to and then everything's a big mess and you have to (laughs) make it come together again. But we see this in in him. It says Adam's head tilted down again. His eyes opened whatever had been standing in the old quarry before. Adam Young was standing there now, a more knowledgeable Adam Young. But Adam Young, nevertheless, possibly more of Adam Young than there had ever been before. Yeah. So these two parts of him, the part of him that loves his friends and then the part of him that understands his own power and what he can do, mm-hmm. you know, um, those two parts were at war. And then once they integrate, he actually, it's, it's almost like a coming of age. And I, I've always hated the idea that coming of age is about, you know, losing your virginity or having sex for the first <laughs> time. Like coming of age is kind of about that that integration that that like final step out of childhood into adulthood and he's not at that but there is a certain like kind of coming of age in this moment where he is suddenly realizing exactly what he is and who he is and having to deal with that and I think it's kind of beautifully expressed I do do too and and I love his reasoning about the size of good and evil because he's using yeah like the examples and metaphors that he has Mm -hmm. and basically comparing his gang and Greasy Johnson's gang to heaven and hell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he's like, it's no good anyone winning, you know, yeah. and <laughs> he talks about how. Because then you just need another side to fight against. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and Pepper brings up, well, if we didn't have the other gang to fight against, we would fight amongst ourselves. Yeah. You know? And and I really love this line from Pepper when uh, Adam's talking about <laughs> things not being sorted out well. And she says that's because the people trying to sort it out were men. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Pepper. Mm-hmm. It's good mm-hmm. you realize that now. You know, yeah. and so now we've got the kids on their bicycles heading to meet the yeah. four horsemen at the airbase. You know, and Aziraphale and Madam Tracy and Shadwell are heading there and Crowley's uh-huh. riding flames to get there and Anathema <laughs> and Newt are on the way. And all of them have to stop and ask grumpy old R.P. Tyler for directions. <laughs> you know, I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. I kind of because this guy like it, we see everything through his POV, this cranky old guy who's retired and does nothing but write cranky complaining letters to the local <laughs> paper. Just complains about everything. And I actually kind of liked everybody having to travel through him, mm-hmm. you know, and through his perspective. So that was actually a really fun. Again, ordinarily the kind of thing that I don't really enjoy, but I actually liked it this time. Yeah, I did too. And I really loved his thoughts to Crowley. 
It's like, yeah. excuse me, young man, but your car is on fire and you're sitting right. in it out burning. And incidentally, it's red hot in places. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he just goes to complain uh-huh. to Mr. Young. Like, oh, my God. It's so funny. Um, so we get the convergence of writers. Yeah. And I really love the role that death plays in this. Because mm-hmm. he tells the other horsemen, you know, we go in, we do the job, we get out, we let human nature take its course. Yeah. And that, to me, seems a much more open reading of what's right. going to happen. And death mm-hmm. really isn't trying to decide. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Um, and death seems to understand things more than anybody else involved. Yeah. Death seems to have a handle on what's actually happening as opposed to what we think might be happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, war thinks that one day there may be an end to war and famine and pollution, but never an yeah. end. And that's why he's the yeah. greatest horseman. And and mm-hmm. I really just thought it was it was kind of fascinating to see, you know, how he is reading the situation and their role in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um. And then poor Adam, like, oh, God, I feel so bad for him. It says a bit of his mind that he knew as himself was still there, but it was trying to stay afloat on a fountain of tumultuous darkness. What he was aware of, though, was that his three companions were 100% human. And he doesn't want them to get hurt. And he knows he's led them into trouble. And he also realizes that they can fall back on all those years that they've spent playing pretend to create yeah. a sword and a crown and some scales and mm-hmm. actually take down the horsemen of the apocalypse this way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it was so great. Mm-hmm. It was so great, you know? Um, and then in the middle of all of this, there was this kind of call out to the idea that if you took the world away and left the electricity of like what it yeah. would look like, Mm-hmm. And and how that would, you know, stay twinkling and lit up and how the electricity in the world now was alive the way that fire was alive. And yeah. I just love this so much. And then I was giggling when they were debating Newt and uh, Ananthema about computers being the tool of the devil. And I was right. like, oh, I wonder what Lonnie Dianrich has to say about that. <laughs> oh, no. No, they're absolutely both. <laughs> computers work for both sides. I mean, let's not fool ourselves here. <laughs> Just because I love them does not mean I do not see how they can be completely evil. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, when the kids get there, death senses Adam. And mm-hmm. then in the presence of Adam, the horsemen change, you know, into their natural yeah. shapes. But death mm-hmm. didn't change. And it says, because yeah. some things don't, which I thought was, you know, was really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love this quote on my book. It was on page 325. It said, Adam glanced up. In one sense, there was just clear air overhead. In another, stretching off to infinity, were the host of heaven and hell, wingtip to wingtip. If you looked really mm-hmm. closely and had been specially trained, you could tell the difference. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. Like, just this idea that even if you could see them, you couldn't see the difference. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I just loved it. I loved it. And then we get the answer to our question about how the them match up to the horsemen. 
There we go. I'm super yeah. excited about that. They map pretty much one to one. Yeah. Pepper defeats mm-hmm. war and Brian defeats pollution mm-hmm. and Winsleydale defeats famine. And then, you know, Adam asks where they have gone and Death says, back in the minds of man where they belong. Right. And Adam faces mm-hmm. Death, who's now the angel of death, and he uncurls his wings. And I'm a sucker for angels uncurling their wings. Like it's like always. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love this so much. Um yeah. and then he leaves. <laughs> yep. Like, okay, bye. And then he just buggers <laughs> off. There you go. See you later, death. Yes. <laughs> and Newt gets his moment, you know, trying yeah. not to fix the computers that he fixes. Yes. <laughs> well, I love it that he's so bad with computers and technology that trying to fix it yep. breaks it. Yeah. <laughs> so that it can't do the damage. So yeah. his weakness becomes a strength, I guess. Yeah. In that in it. that moment. And so, you know, civilization is is back to normal and we think things are okay, mm-hmm. except Metatron and Belzy both right. have different ideas. Uh, yeah. But I still like Adam kind of reasoning his way through their arguments. You know, he says, I yeah. don't see what's so terrific about creating people as people and then getting upset because they act like people. Right. Yeah, that's pretty good reasoning from an 11-year-old. From an 11-year-old. Well, he is. I mean, he's had this whole integration. Yeah. Like, he's 11, but he's also more than 11. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And then Aziraphale and Crowley kind of jump in there to point out that the great plan might be part of the ineffable plan. Yeah. What written could be rewritten or crossed out. And I love that Metatron and Billy Bub are both like, all right, we're out. We got to go get right <laughs> we, get, we, don't get, we don't get paid to sit here and fight with you guys <laughs> no we're done we're done mm-hmm. we're done arguing you know and Aziraphale realizes that there's hope because Adam has grown up just human yeah and it's that idea of human incarnate now um but then of course Satan comes <laughs> because right. we just you know we've got to have 11 endings to this exactly it is insane it is an endless series of endings it is crazy and then you know armed with a tire iron and a flaming sword which made me wonder okay Mm -hmm. was that aziraphale sword that was sent to war yeah i don't know i don't i mean i i I, flaming swords i think and when aziraphale picked it up you know he was like well it was basically like writing about (laughs) you don't forget how to do it so, I mean, I think I think that's his sword. I think that's his sword. Uh, but they yeah. decide to fight, you know, and, and to try to mm-hmm. protect the humans. Oh, God, I love and that. Then, I love when they both let their wings show. Yeah. And, oh. yeah. it's I can't wait to see that on screen. I know. You know, and Aziraphale tells Crowley there's always been some good in him. And Crowley says that Aziraphale has always been just enough of a bastard to be worth liking. Yes. <laughs> Which I love so much because this whole story is this love story between Crowley and Aziraphale. And as they are about to go face like the big bad, the big boss, right? right? You know, <laughs> this fight, we apparently have to go through a million mini bosses first, but then we get to the big boss and they're like, you know, they're just, they're in it. They're both in it. They're both ready to do what needs to be done. They're going to die side by side. It's so great. I, I wrote it. best, best friends in my book. Best, best friends. <laughs> best, best about friends. you. But, but I guess it shows too, again, their intention, but their inability to actually do anything because Adam yeah. is the one who waves his hand and makes the world right, right itself. And Mr. Young shows up like, 
Where was Adam? Just in time for his dad to get there, right? <laughs> yeah. But I really like oh, that, God. you know, little moment there where it says Adam never did what his father wanted him to do because they're not talking about Mr. Right. You know? And so yeah. that was really yeah. great. And the international yeah. delivery man is alive again. There we go. And that makes me so happy. <laughs> and Crowley has a new stolen vehicle and he and Aziraphale right off and it's great. <laughs> I know, and it's really nice, and it doesn't turn into uh, the the best of queen. No, I can't. Handles water music stays handles water music, and, and I guess that's how we know that the world is different. <laughs> yeah, right. and we still have another chapter. We still have another chapter. Have another that's chapter. for next week. Then. Yeah, but it was it was just kind of this. I like being swept up in a book. You know, and yeah. this section swept me up because it was just fast and delightful and funny. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it imparts, like, I really felt for Adam and I really felt for Crowley. Yeah. Um, and so I, I like being able to have those deep moments of emotion, you know, in just this total yeah. big ride. But Right. Well, and I also really like this moment from Shadwell, uh -huh. you know, when they get there, when they first get there. And Aziraphale's like, well, that's the kid you got to kill. And Shadwell's like, he's just a bairn, yeah. you know? And so I really like that Shadwell is not willing to hurt a child, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I thought that that was a really good moment for him. We have a lot of good moments. Now, I'm not going to say, like, you know, that my whole story expert, like, narrative thing is not grinding at this book. <laughs> like, <laughs> It is grinding hard. We have narrative issues. But overall, I'm going to say, like, I put it aside, you know, because um, there are times where you just like, you're not going to like, don't worry about it. Just let it go. So I've let that go. Good. There's narrative issues. I'm just going to say throughout the whole thing, there's narrative <laughs> issues. Um, but I do like that. There's also uh, quite a few things in this reading that highly, highly offended mm -hmm. me. But after reading that that message from from Neil yeah. Gaiman um, about all of the things that, you know, at the time, like they didn't mean these things to be offensive. They really were like poking fun at the fact that people think these things are right. OK, that there are people that think these things are OK. It's just that now I think like during that time, we were still being gaslit culturally into thinking that these are things that like not a lot of people do or it's just a couple of assholes and it's not like and we've gotten mostly past it um in recent years those kind of filters have have fallen away and we're seeing more of what the reality is so um so for anybody who was offended by 18 various things in this reading yeah they're there yeah they're awful i'm not going to call each and every one of them out because like i just want to get yeah. through it <laughs> Don't want to have to call out each one of these things. They are bad. I recognize that they're bad, but also that the people who did it also recognize that they're bad. And in the adaptation, really paid attention to that, according to what I saw from Neil Gaiman. So I'm feeling really good about that. And um, and it's not that I don't see what's happening or that we don't recognize it or that we don't sympathize with people that it might have been upsetting yeah. for. Um, but just the, like at this point, I think that they're going to fix it. So it is, it, you know, it is acknowledged. We do see it. It is there, you know, you're not crazy, but at the same time, I kind of want to focus on, you know, instead of spending the whole thing talking about why there are all these narrative problems <laughs> like what the, because this one's just got so many i mean forget it i can't even like I, you'd have to go and like revise the whole thing through mm -hmm. you know um and uh, and all the little like uh socio-political problems that we've got in there too yes they're real problems but 
there's a lot here to be to be enjoyed and to be appreciated. And I kind of want to focus on that rather than just spending the time shaking my fist at <laughs> good omens. Yeah, it, it gave me a lot of, of hope and warm fuzzies too mm-hmm. to hear yeah, that, that yeah. you know, when, when you create something that's old and you go back and look at it critically and you have the chance yeah. to update the adaptation that you take that step and you own it. Yeah. Right, exactly. And Neil Gaiman yeah. did. And I think that that's great. And I'm really looking forward to, I think, in the TV show, um, not having so many things that just hurt to see. It just, it yeah. hurts. It hurts to go back to the 90s. You know, if you watch Friends, you go through the same mm-hmm. thing. There are terrible, terrible jokes in there that were made at a time when culturally we were gaslit to believe that it wasn't as bad yeah. as it is. Now we know. And so this stuff is just so much more hurtful, mm-hmm. you know, um, so much more upsetting I think than it was back then necessarily. I mean, you know, some people knew back in the nineties and knew we were being gaslit. We're probably furious and dealing with all of that back then. I think like a lot of us culturally, um, you know, didn't think it was as bad as it was. And now we've, now we're making that discovery and it's, it's really hard. Um, But so I don't know, like at this point, I'd rather appreciate the fact that moving into the TV show, I think that we're going to have like the best of what Good Omens has to offer and hopefully fixing, you know, not just the like social stuff that's bad, but like the narrative stuff that's bad. I really hope that that gets fixed. (laughs) Well, and I think it'll be really interesting, too, because Mm -hmm. along with repairing some things. You know, Gaiman is also adding something. Yeah, which I think would be really fun. Yeah, he and Terry Pratchett had talked about a um, a sequel to Good Omens, and you know, of course, that's not possible now that that Terry Pratchett has has left the world. But some of their ideas are going to find their way into the show. Yeah, and so I think even having read this book as many times as I've read it, there's still going to be some great surprises. Yeah, on screen, which is just going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to that. I am super excited about it, and yeah. I, and and it's a small thing, but it makes me so happy that David Tennant dyed his hair red because <laughs> he really thought that Crowley would be a redhead. Yeah, and he has these different hairstyles because they jump through time so mm-hmm. much. And you're going to be able to sort of track that by Crowley's hair, whereas Aziraphale's hair is going to stay the same throughout the whole show. Of course it is. Of (laughs) course it is. I love it. Perfect. Yeah. I love it all so much. I love everything I've seen from the trailers and everything Mm -hmm. for the show. I think the show is going to be fantastic. I do too. I do too. And I really enjoyed today's reading. It was fast and furious, funny, Mm -hmm. and it was hopeful. You know, and it ended like with a happy ending. And, And I love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what was your favorite part from Saturday part two? Oh, God, my favorite part is the moment with Aziraphale and Crowley before they go in to fight Satan. And Mm -hmm. Aziraphale's like, I knew you were good. And Crowley said, I knew you were a bastard. And they just, (laughs) I love that. I love that whole relationship with the two of them. So what was your favorite part? Oh, for me, it's Crowley and Fire. So him Aww. running into the bookstore to save yeah. Aziraphale and then driving the Bentley into, you know, flames of destruction to save the world. Like, there yeah. is something about that that is so dear and poetic and funny. Yeah. And I just love it. I love it, too. It's super great. So everybody that struggled with the beginning part of the book, this is why you read it. This is why you read it. It's yeah. So <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, the thing is good omens is kind of a mess. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of a mess, 
But it's a fun mess. It's a yeah. charming mess. It's it and, and I kind of like that it's, I don't know, there's something about it and it's imperfection mm-hmm. that is accessible. You yeah. know, it's just so, it's, it's really, it's really fun. All right, so join in the discussion on Twitter. Follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag Chipper End Times. Welcome to the End Times and everything Chipperish Media produces is made free and ad-free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to stay in thrall of heathen passion and occult wilds. <laughs> Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Welcome to the End Times by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review or telling your friends about the show and Chipperish Media or by making little encouraging notes for Newt in the margins of your family's heirloom book of prophecies. (laughs) We will be back next time with Sunday, the final chapter of Good Omens. Until then, make it quick. We are attempting to avert the apocalypse.